right, some months back, actually about a year ago, I think, on the program, we spoke with our Turkish correspondent. That would be Gordon Smith. He's been designated, of course, our Turkish correspondent due to his abiding interest in all things Turkish. We talked about Kemal Ataturk, and Gordon did a great job uh, telling us about that remarkable historical figure. He went back to learn more of the language, that being the Turkish language, in September and October and had many interesting adventures all over the country, particularly in the East, where there's a lot of interesting politics. So we're very keen to have him return and tell us what he's learned. So welcome back to Radio Parallax, Gordon Smith. Thank you very much, Doug. You were, uh, you were like spending some time out where I guess the Armenian genocide took place 100 years ago and also where there's a current, a lot of, currently a lot of uh, friction with the Kurdish population. That's right. That's right. I was in Turkey for a month, and almost all of that time was spent in the east. Uh, today, uh, that part of the country, especially the southeast, is overwhelmingly Kurdish. Once upon a time, there were several million Armenians who lived there, but no longer. Pretty much everybody fled in the wake of all the terrible events during World War I? Those who were not killed fled, yes. Some right. fled into uh, what is today the country of, of Armenia, and a lot fled abroad. There's a, there's a huge Armenian diaspora worldwide. Well, I, I gather that uh, you, you being that you're very interested in things cultural, you must have had numerous conversations on both topics. Let's start with the Armenian situation. What did what did people have to say looking back at uh, at that terrible event a century ago? Well, that is interesting. I think uh, I think I had two conversations in particular that stand out in my mind about uh, the Armenian situation. One was one that I held with a group of Turkish teachers on Akdamar Island, which is in the middle of Lake Van. And on that island is the Church of the Holy Cross, which was built in roughly the ninth century. And I was standing outside this church talking to this group of four Turkish teachers, all of whom were based in the, in the van. Uh, area, so in other words, in the in the Kurdish uh, part of the of the country, and I asked them, well, you know, what what have you heard about the uh, the killings of the Armenians that took place a uh, hundred years ago? What were you taught about this? And they said, yes, uh, we have heard of this, and uh, we know that it took place. Uh, in the middle of World War One, and that there were killings on both sides. I said, okay, and uh, about how many Armenians do you think were killed? They conferred with one another and said, oh, about 80,000, uh, we think. Well, I said, I don't know about that. You know, the historians seem to pretty much have a consensus figure that is at a million or more. 80,000 is still a pretty a pretty large figure. I mean, we lost 50,000 people in the, in the entire Vietnam War, so to lose 80,000 people itself is is pretty impressive. But uh, I guess, yeah, historians agree it's more like a million. Yes. And then when I asked them, well, how many Turks do you think were killed by the uh, Armenians? Because they regarded this as being, a, a, um, you know, essentially an equal fight between the 
the two, and they said, after conferring with one another, well, about the same number, about 80,000. <laughs> and I said, okay. And how exactly were the Armenians killed? Well, um, they died while they were being relocated to safe areas by the Ottoman army. 80,000 people were killed while being relocated <laughs> to safer areas? How did they die? And they said, well, um, weather conditions. Weather conditions, and of course, some were killed by, by the Turks. <clears throat> so they, had, uh, they did not see this at all as being a one-sided battle, and they also saw the Armenians as having been very disloyal to the to the Ottoman Empire, which, of course, was at that time locked in a life-and-death uh, battle with the Allies in, in World War I. And their view of the situation was that the Armenians had chosen to ally themselves with their fellow Orthodox Christians, the Russians, who were at the time invading the Ottoman Empire. So it was really a matter of the Armenians uh, having picked the the losing side in that war that was the cause of so many of them dying. Well, I, I have to admit, I don't know as much about this uh, as I should, but how, how would you put together what really took place? Why was there such a genocide? I think, I think the motives are very complicated. Before I answer that question, I'm going to tell you about the other uh, important conversation I had with uh, a Turk. And, okay. Um, this was in the town of Bitlis, also near uh, Lake Van. The person I was talking to was an ethnic Kurd. There were two people that I was talking to, in fact. This, the, the person who was doing most of the, the talking was a man of about 60, and he was telling me about his two grandfathers, the, the way this conversation started was uh, I, I was looking to find the location of some uh, Armenian uh, headstones that I'd seen pictures of and that I knew were somewhere in the vicinity of this, of this town, and I wanted to find this graveyard. So he said, I don't actually know where the graveyard is, but I know uh, uh, what happened to uh, the Armenians who filled up those graveyards. My grandfathers killed them. And he said this with a note of pride and while laughing. And the other guy who was sitting there with him, uh, who was an ethnic Turk in his case, was also laughing. And I really wasn't sure if this conversation was taking place in, in Turkish, which is a language I am far from being uh, competent uh, in. Now, I looked at the other fellow just to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding, and I gave him a quizzical look, and, and in response he drew his finger across his throat just to make sure that uh, it, it uh, couldn't be uh, misunderstood. Yeah. And, and when I asked him, well, why? Why did they do this? Well, you know, it was war, and, uh, and the Kurds were afraid. I see. And uh, are there any Armenians who are left in this part of the world? And they said, oh, yes, oh, yes. But, of course, they're all Muslim now. They are? Why? And then he mimed the act of pointing a rifle at them 
to uh, communicate to, as he as he explained to me that they had been converted at, at the point uh, of at the point at of gun a gun point. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <clears throat> wow. There's a couple of different facets of of how people remember it. Why why did the Ottomans decide to uh, to do this? Uh, the principals who were involved in making the decision were. Uh, um, in many cases, assassinated after the war by Armenian assassination uh, teams. In particular, the the key players in the government that was known as the Young Turks. Oh wow! In effect, Turkey yeah. was being run by the Young Turks during the, the this period of of World War One and the the Sultan and the old regime had been pushed into the background, although technically the country still uh, remained ruled by the, the Sultan. It is difficult to tell. So it's, there it's, are it's, certainly some pretty extensive uh, archives that uh-huh. are left, but it seems to be the case that the young Turks were determined to eliminate this, this group that they saw as being a, a thorn in their side and that they mm-hmm. felt that they couldn't really count on during the, the war against the Russians on that particular front. So I guess I guess some of what went on really is it perhaps lost to history. Some of it is uh, is lost to history, but some of it is still within human memory, or certainly within the right. the memory of the the children and grandchildren of the of the uh, of the descendants, especially among the 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 Kurds, who in many cases it seems were the ones who were actually carrying out these these killings. From what I've I, I have gathered from my readings on the subject and from talking to people, in many cases it was just a matter of mutual ethnic hatred between these, these two groups who had vied with uh, one another for supremacy for centuries, the Armenians and the, and the Kurds, who occupied uh, much of the, of the same territory. So for the, for the Kurds, this was a, an opportunity to finish off an ancient enemy and to seize their lands. Well, it's interesting how things turn out. Uh, the Kurds were, I guess, uh, fighting Armenians, killing Armenians, but yet to the, today, Armenia is an independent nation, and there is, as of yet, no Kurdistan. I'm sure that came up in a lot of conversations while you were there. Yes, yeah, so although a lot of Kurds regard what has emerged in northern Iraq as being... The, the the core of what what might eventually turn into a larger Kurdistan. I think it's also important to stress that although a lot of ethnic Turks believe that the the real goal of uh, the uh, the Kurds within within Turkey is to create a separate country, that's not at all what the vast majority of Kurds that I talk to say. They are not necessarily seeking any kind of full independence. They are, however, seeking a lot more autonomy than they have now, especially the kind of autonomy that would give them control over cultural issues. And far and away, the most important cultural issue is controlling education and controlling whether or not their children are to be taught in their mother tongue or are to be taught in Turkish. Well, we hear that uh, that the Kurds 
are the largest ethnic group in the world that does not have its own nation. Um, but I guess the population is, is not just, it extends from, from northern Iraq into Turkey through Syria, which is, of course, now being destabilized. Yes, the Kurds had the misfortune of being among the, the major losers from World War One and the, and the treaties that followed World War One. They ended up being split between, in fact, four countries to the list that you just gave, I would add, uh, Iran. But something just over half of the total worldwide Kurdish population is, in fact, in Turkey. Which is a surprise, because you always think, I, I always think that the, of, of, the, of the concentration in Iraq being the, the largest, but uh, in fact, no. Yeah, I think the, the, the Kurds of Iraq have been particularly visible to us as Americans because of the role that they played in, in, uh, in Iraq and uh, the, the war that we so recently extricated ourselves from. So we're a little bit more familiar with that, but the numbers are, in fact, greater in Turkey. There are about, depending upon who you believe, somewhere around 20% of the 80 million people in Turkey are Kurds. So that would translate to about 16 million. Well, Gordon, you spent a lot of time speaking to the various factions there in, in Eastern Eastern Turkey. Um, What'd you come away with in terms of like this whole this whole strife, this twenty percent population, this significant part of the Turkish population? Uh, how well are they fitting in? What do they see their future being? I don't think that uh, uh, on the whole the the Kurds are faring very well within Turkey, especially those who remain in 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 the southeastern part of the country, which is the poorest part of the, the country. A lot of them have, of course, migrated out of that part of the country. Some of them have moved abroad, uh, especially to Germany, where there are maybe a million or so Kurds, but a lot more have gone to the big cities like Istanbul and, uh, and Ankara. So they're not faring as well as the ethnic Turkish part of the population, and by and large, they are, in fact, being uh, assimilated. They're being assimilated faster if they migrate out of the southeast, but even on their home turf, I think that the Turkish uh, policy of assimilation is actually working. Let's take a minute to digress. The, the, the Kurdish people, I mean, we, we sort of, we hear about them, but uh, what is their background, religion, language, etc., and where do they come from, uh, or where do they migrate from? Do we know? I'm not sure how much we know about where they migrated from. They are not Turkish, nor are they Arabs. They speak a language that's part of the same language group as Farsi. Religiously speaking, they are essentially all Muslim, and uh, they are, like the Turks themselves, divided between Sunni and uh, Shia. The variety of Shia that are found within Turkey, uh, they are known there as the Alevi. And the Alevi are uh, largely a persecuted group in Turkey. So if you are a Kurd and an Alevi, you are doubly out of luck <laughs> in modern Turkey. 
Turkey has been cited, I think, in various studies as being the only other nation besides the United States where people believe <laughs> the fundamentalist version of how the Earth was created and that evolution must be bunk, which I thought was a pretty pretty bad sign for both countries. Um, is there concern about the rise of uh, Islamic fundamentalism in Turkey? Because we hear about this. Well, the government of Turkey is an Islamist government under the uh, party that's known as the AKP, uh, or the AK Party. That has essentially shifted the balance of power within, within Turkey, which for decades and decades uh, the, 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 the battle was between the, the secularists and, uh, and the Islamists. And the political legacy of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the founder of the republic, was that the state would uh, officially be, be secular and would maintain a rigid separation between mosque and state. Well, that separation is definitely now being broken down, uh, particularly over the last 10 years. Another, another similarity to America, I might add. <laughs> yes, yes, there is some similarity uh, to that, but uh, there aren't the same kind of constitutional safeguards that prevent the, the government from hmm. breaking down this, uh, this line of division. I wouldn't say that fundamentalist Islam is such a big issue in, in uh, Turkey, uh, but there is definitely an issue between those who are religious and those who are secular or even a division between people who are religious, who are religious Muslims, but don't necessarily believe that it's uh, appropriate to bring that into, into government. There's, you know, a full spectrum of political opinion among, uh, among Muslims in, in Turkey. You know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding between Turks and, and Kurds, uh, especially there is a problem on the part of the, the, the Turks in understanding the viewpoint of the Kurds. And, and, and there's one story that I was told by a Kurdish guy that really captured that. He told me about how he was talking with uh, a Turkish friend of, of his, and uh, he was arguing that the Kurds didn't have political equality in their, in their own country. And his Turkish friend responded with, well, aren't we already totally equal? You study in Turkish, I study in Turkish. <laughs> We're equal. <laughs> Well, as he was telling me this, he and his friends uh, burst out laughing, but uh, as one of them said with, uh, with a note of chagrin in his voice, it's 50% very funny, and it's 50% tragic. They just don't understand. Well, Gordon, uh, tell us a bit about the PKK. Well, the PKK is uh, an organization that has been around for more than 30 years now and uh, is... The, the military arm of, of the Kurds. It is denounced as a terrorist organization by the government of Turkey as well as by the U.S. and by the, the EU. The Kurds, for the most part, at least those that I talk to, don't really see it that way. 
it's hard to say, really, whether uh, it depends on your definition as to whether or not you view them as as terrorists or not. For the most part, they only attack military and police targets. Uh, they don't attack uh, civilians, although they are known to kidnap teachers for symbolic uh, reasons, but seldom is anybody killed uh, as, a, as a result of that. From what I could tell in talking in particular to, to young Kurds, they overwhelmingly support the, the PKK. Even though there is a legal Kurdish party called the BDP, which represents the, the Kurds in Parliament, a lot of Kurds seem to have a certain amount of contempt for that party, for having made too many compromises to work within the, the system. That, despite the fact that that parliamentary party, the BDP, has quite a number of its deputies in, in jail. So they're not exactly pussycats. Well, before you left, you said you were going to do your best to improve your Turkish, and I, I presume that you made strides in that and are, and I, and are going to go back for more? Well, I'm not sure exactly when I will be uh, returning. I'm sure I will be returning to Turkey one day, and I continue to work on my <laughs> Turkish. I'm hoping that uh, I can eliminate some of the glitches in my command of that language, like my inability to remember the difference between the word for house and the word for spouse, <laughs> which leads to a lot of miscommunication. And probably big laughs. <laughs> yes, yes, I certainly had more than my fair share of smiles <laughs> as I mangled the Turkish language. Well, the thing I love about trying to learn another language, which I have not done enough of, is that people really will bend over backwards. They're so pleased that you're trying to, to, to speak with them in, in their own tongue. That is absolutely true, and one thing I absolutely have to say about all Turks, regardless of ethnic or religious stripe, they are the most hospitable people on earth, bar none. Well, you know, I, I don't know that I give them the superlative, but in my two trips to Turkey, I thought they were just wonderful people. I had a great time, and I think you would agree with me that uh, among the travel destinations that you might want to consider, that would be on the short list. It is definitely uh, a winner. I think I, I would recommend a visit to Turkey to just about anyone who has even the slightest taste for foreign travel. And we should probably, just as, as we close, mention that uh, the Turks do have, well, I guess in some circles, kind of a bad rep, and I think this is just a holdover from the, the big fight in the 1920s between the Greeks and the Turks, and I think the Greeks still just haven't forgiven the Turks. Yeah, I, I think there is some uh, element of, uh, of that. But uh, one thing's for sure, Turkey has become an enormous travel destination, especially for West Europeans. Yeah. They go to the Aegean coast of Turkey the way we fly off to Cancun. Oh, wow. Well, and uh, just uh, in closing, too, I want to clarify people that Turkey is a European nation and very proud of that fact. Uh, we think of it being that it is Islamic, and we see pictures of, uh, of, the, of the, uh, the mosques in, in Istanbul. We think of it as an Islamic nation, which it is, but it is also a European nation, no doubt. Absolutely. And, uh, and Turkey continues to campaign.
campaign for entering into the European Union. I'm not sure if their enthusiasm is what it once was, given the, the trials and tribulations of the EU right now. But I suspect that one day Turkey will be a part of the European Union. We can hope. Well, Gordon Smith, thanks for, so much for sharing your experience in Turkey. You are our designated Turkish correspondent, <laughs> and we'll be counting upon you for, uh, for, for analysis for things in that part of the world. And I think, uh, I know you don't want to do this today, but lots going on in Syria. Maybe next, sometime next year, let's, uh, you were right in the Syrian border there in Turkey. Come back, and we'll talk about that as things develop. How's that sound? I look forward to it. All right. All right.